So everybody, I am here today for The Lawyer's Daughter with Todd Lindsay, who may or may not believe it, but burnt a hole in my memory when working on Unmasking a Killer, which was about, I think we recorded maybe two years before, was it in 2016, Todd, that we got started, that you were working, we were filming, or was it 2017? I think it was 2017. 2017. It wasn't too far before D'Angelo was caught. And no, uh, the show, the last episode of the five-part series aired two weeks before the arrest. Yeah, there you go. Talk about the timing was timing. Like you can't make that up. uh, Yeah, I couldn't have paid to have that happen any better. I mean, you just can't. It can't happen that way unless it's completely by chance, which it was obviously. And I remember so favorably coming down, and I do want you to tell me about yourself, but I just wanted to um, have everybody understand why it's so important to me to talk with you, is that I remember we came down to um, North Hollywood. I think we were doing it right by Universal Studios. The office is there, Joe's offices. Yes, and I Studio brought City. My, yeah, I brought my daughter, Studio City, that's right. I brought my daughter and a friend, and what, bl- what blew me away is when you showed me what I call your war room. I, I've referred to it as your war room, but I, you had... For me, you had visualized data, which is so powerful. I mean, here I am, a marketing person, and the power of visualizing data. And then everything we did that day was so respectful and um, and thoughtful. And I and for me, it was the first time I turned a corner and decided I wasn't going to be afraid anymore when I did an interview. And that I actually challenged for the first time. I said, like, bring it, just bring it. We got you, sucker. And it turns out it was, you know, so true. So so. Tell us about yourself, and then I want to know. I, I can, about- let me tell you something. Yeah. After you were done, uh, and after you and your daughter left, uh, and you guys were great, by the way. We loved having you there. It was fantastic. Uh, Joke said, um, oh, I told Joke. I said, uh, she did a great interview. And she said, really? Because she seems very feisty, and then she's a fighter. And I said, yeah. And I said, it all came out in the interview. That's going to be a fantastic interview and it was as soon as we got in the editing room we were like oh my god jen's great <laughs> we could use oh, jen so through the whole thing if we wanted to um but yes you were you were forceful in your opinions and they're well thought out and you were you got a little emotional I and mean, you kind of ran the whole gamut um but you were very honest uh which we loved and you talked about the case in its entirety, you didn't, you know, smooth over anything. I thought that was fantastic of you, you know, um, because things got pretty crazy right after, uh, you know, your father's murder. Oh, yeah. And I don't have to tell you, you know, for the audience. Oh, no, things um, got and so, hella crazy. And the thing is, is that, yeah, I think that for me, um, being authentic and telling the truth is the only thing that I think helps other people out there who listen and tell me they identify. I'm like, yeah, let's be truthful. I think people can sense that right away when you're being honest in an interview and bearing yeah. your soul. I think, I think so. I think I can tell right away. So. Well, okay, so you do. So you you woke up one day and said, "I need to do this particular <laughs> thing." Like, how did it even get started? So I was working for the E Channel and um, doing writing and research for um, a True Hollywood Story. And he investigates. So True Hollywood Story obviously is the uh, celebrity component, and he investigates was true crime. And they were actually very, um, they were kind of uh, right on that uh, cusp of, uh, you know, that true crime explosion that happened in TV, you know, several years back, where we have oh, yeah. all of a sudden we have all these channels that do it. People weren't really doing it then, and he was kind of on the cusp of that. So I got to give him uh, respect for that. And they were very open to any stories I brought them. Um, we brought them, I brought them some, uh, some stories that were pretty crazy. And I was like, this is a great story. But um, I was just researching one night. I was home alone. I think it was about 11.30. And I stumbled upon the original Night Soccer website, you know, with the picture of the guy oh, in the face mask. That thing yeah. used to upset me so much. Just the it image was upsetting. Because it's very jarring when you go there. And I'm like, could you guys not make this your landing page? I can't, do it. I can't come back. It was, it the, was. Nice, and it was yeah, the, the stocking cap and just the eyes. And it was blue eyes, right? right. They had made them right. brilliantly blue. So you just, ah. The, okay, so you ended up there. And the clenched teeth. Oh, yeah. Which, which was another big thing. They said he would always speak through clenched teeth. 
And I thought that was, um, you know, and so he included that into the drawing that he made. And I thought that it was pretty good. So I started reading the website and became fascinated with it. I, the question I kept asking myself over and over was, was how come I haven't heard of this? I've researched all these cases and I've never heard of this. And then I realized I've heard of a few of the cases, the Orange County cases, when they had a DNA match. I remember reading that in the paper, but I didn't put it together as being part of the original Night Stalker. I don't know if they even used that term in the article I read, and I didn't realize how widespread, obviously. So after reading the info on this article, or on this website, I obviously was really intrigued and fascinated. Uh, it's a one-of-a-kind case, as you know. I really haven't seen any other uh, offenders that really, really kind of relate to this guy and, and his M.O., and how he acted, it, he, he seemed to be very unique. Uh, the thing that really clinched it was, um, so I clicked on the little spot that said uh, to hear the killer's voice. And I, I had my speakers up, because I, I was probably listening to music earlier and I forgot. So when the breathing starts, it was super loud. And it, it scared the, I mean, I jumped. I got a jump scare. <laughs> and I'm home alone and I'm thinking, you know, does he know I'm listening to this? You know, you think yeah. <laughs> illogical thoughts. <laughs> and I was like, wow. I mean, it really kind of took the wind out of me for a second. And, but that's what started the whole ball rolling. So I started researching it and, and calling people who were involved in the case. And uh, one of the first guys I called was Larry Crompton from retired from the Contra Costa County Sheriff's Department. And he's been fantastic. And he, he was then and he, he said, Todd, the press never talks about this case. It's the one case I really want to solve before I pass away. And, and you know, when a, when a guy like Larry Crompton tells you that, you, I mean, I, I get choked up a little bit thinking about it now. And you're like, I want to help this guy whatever, you know, in any way I can, you know, publicize the case and uh, do whatever and was, I can. And that was just one investigator. Right. We know there were dozens at least i know there were people in ventura who kept pr pushing it there's larry Poole down in Los and down in orange county there were so right. many people and once you realize how many people had this had, as much as it's been my whole life it's been their whole life too yes you're Doesn't exactly it? right larry Poole has devoted his entire career to this case he never forgot it never let it go always worked on it and really people understand he eliminated a lot of top suspects which was very important um and of course paul holes i mean he's the man who decided to use genealogy to figure this case out and we will always be grateful to him for that it was a touch of genius it was exactly what we needed and look at the effect it's had on law enforcement now on cold case oh yeah uh investigation and it has it's a new world they're arresting cold case suspects once a week now cases that are 20 30 40 years old they even saw one that was 50 years old that's amazing i mean just the effect that this case this investigation has had on other cases really makes me proud because it's really solved a ton of cases and it will continue to do so far into the future um i mean it, i'm being told that we may know who the zodiac killer was and jack the ripper was because there are some products to get dna from from both those cases oh, so good. if you have the dna it's just a matter of going through the genealogy yeah eventually you'll figure stuff. it out yeah just get yeah. it typed so we know the 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 a, what is that called atc code or whatever we know what they're we know what the code is and then we can go batch it to anybody forever like we'll have it right which is weird i mean we could get a lot, go down a rat hole of dna because it's so fascinating and the privacy issues and everything but when it is when you okay so you're making unmasking killer you've written it and, and i don't even know how it goes when you you write well, first we did a what we did a one hour show it's funny First, I wanted to do 15 minutes on it in an e-show about three different un uh, uh, unsolved serial killings. Okay. And once I got into it, I, I, again, I, give, um, I worked with Suzanne Ross and Michael Hacker, uh, two producers, uh, supervising producers at E, and they both said, you got way too much for a 15-minute 
segment of the world that we can't even tell this story in 50 minutes, but then they were completely right. So we put it on the shelf, and usually when you shelf something, that means death. You'll never see it again. And we did this show on three other serial killers. Um, I think it was called Serial Killers Among Us. Anyway, I, I was shocked. Like, four months later, we get a message from the network saying, take it off the shelf, and we'll give you a whole hour on it. I was like, <laughs> that's all I did for months was this call people. And of course I had way too much for a, oh, yeah. when you take the commercials out, it's 42 minutes. So I had way too much for 42 minutes, but we were able to tell the story from, from Sacramento to the last murder in Orange County, but we couldn't get into Visalia at all. Right. No time. And I really, even back then wanted to do it. That's can't tell us. That's amazing because at some points I look at Visalia and God love them, but I'm like, I'm exhausted already. Like, oh, yeah. God, there's so but much. I, I felt from the very beginning you cannot tell the story without including the Visalia ransacker cases because I was convinced even then it was, uh, it was connected. It was the same guy and um, turned out it was. Uh, I wasn't the only one who thought that. A lot of people thought that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so we um, did 42 minutes and I thought it, I watched it again before we started the new documentary and I was like, you know, it's pretty good. It's compact. You know, I would love to have got a lot more information in, but it tells the story, the basic story. And that had never been told before. MSNBC investigates had done just the Southern California murders. They hadn't done the Sacramento crimes. So that was the first show to do both. So then of course, I want to do the documentary where I can talk about Visalia and Sacramento and Southern California as much as I want, you know? And um, so I wrote up a, a treatment uh, years later after the e-show. Wow. And I pitched it to several companies. Nobody wanted to do it because they said it doesn't have an ending. And I would say... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have an ending. Like, because he wasn't caught, right. Yeah. And I would point out, well, you know, there's been a million things done on Black Dahlia and the Zodiac Killer. One of the best movies I've ever seen was on the Zodiac Killer. It's a great film. Um, and I said, uh, no ending. They have a suspect, but there's no ending to either of those. I mean, and, and in Black Dahlia, they, they've done countless stuff on her and there really is no main suspect. I know people say there is, but really there's not. So... There's been lots of shows like that where it's unsolved. Um, so I worked with Joke Productions on several shows. I really liked Joke and Biagio, the husband and wife team that own Joke Productions. And you're saying so J-O-K-E for anybody who doesn't. It's literally the word joke, which is yeah. because, it, yeah, it, I remember I'm, like, I'm going to a place called Joke Productions at my series. Right. It's, it's, she's Flemish. She was born in Belgium. And so it's a Flemish name. Um, but I don't she think she thought, it. I gotta say, she steps, yeah. in, she steps into the name, which is. And I don't know if they necessarily thought they were gonna go into true crime production when they started. <laughs> <laughs> or they might have gone with a different name. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, everybody knows us now because they've been doing so much work in that field for many, many years and great, high quality stuff. So it, it doesn't matter anymore. Everybody knows in that field who joke productions are. They're well respected. Uh, but anyway, so I pitched it to them while I was working on another show for them. And Joe put it aside, God, for two, three months. She was very busy. And another producer, uh, Amanda, at, the, at Joe Productions had read it and told her, you got to read that. That's a hell of a story. And I've never heard of it. And so Joe read it and immediately called me and said, um, please come in and discuss this. And we <laughs> talked about it for about three hours. You know, I won't. You have to stop me. I won't shut up about it. You know, you have to cut me off and go, okay, we've heard enough. <laughs> My girlfriend has done that many times. Um, so, yeah, so, and she was really enthusiastic. So we went around and pitched it to Netflix and, and Amazon and just all the people in Hollywood. And Netflix and CNN were the two that, um, CNN wanted it for HLN. They own HLN. So they wanted it for that. HLN wanted to do more crime type documentaries and just more documentary program i think in general um so that fit right in there and, and netflix really liked it they wanted to wait a little bit 
and we knew this was time was of the essence, especially when they reopened the case right in the middle of us trying to to convince you know a network to take the show. Yeah, the FBI and, the FBI profile came out right, and there was it was yes. heat up like things were at least media wise. I know Larry Poole had been trying forever to get the FBI. Oh, years had been yeah. trying. Larry Poole at Orange County had been trying for years to get the FBI to help, and and he says they did provide some. Uh, profiling that kind of thing um but it's not like criminal minds they don't go we got a case and show right. up it takes to get their attention takes a ton of work it does i understood and, from larry like that was hard and in their defense i mean it's they're supposed to step in if this like an uh, interstate type of crime right. and there's there was no evidence of that um now they can there are certain circumstances where they can overlook that and step in but um yeah, I think, you know, they have um, rules that they go by. And, you know, I got to tell you, when Larry was asking him to step in, there were unsolved killings all over the country, you know, hundreds of them. Um, left over from the 60s and 70s, a lot of them, but a lot of current ones from the 80s and 90s, too. So uh, I know the FBI was working a lot on the Green River case at, okay. at, in the 90s and stuff. So, I mean, they will look at it. I think if it, for whatever fits their, it, it comes within their field of vision and they feel like it fits uh, what they can do, for, you know, for local law enforcement. Um, so that got CNN's attention when they, I mean. Netflix, oh God, it got everybody's attention. It well, was Netflix major is news. like counting their toes. And so CNN says, I'll make our, we'll make our move and let's buy this thing. And they did it and we hit the road. I broke all records for the most interviews that a joke production program has ever done by far. I mean, it wasn't even close. I think we had 55 interviews. Oh my gosh. For five one hour episodes. So that's a lot. That's quite yeah. a bit, but you understand why there's so many parts of this story. It, I mean, this guy made this his career for 12 years and was very active. Incredibly active. I mean, yeah, first of all, there's so much content I'm with you. I think just knowing what all the survivors here have done as we've prepared for other shows, there's so many interviews, just our stupid Ventura story alone. If you just wanted to dig into the intrigue and salaciousness and nonsense, there's so much. So yeah, you add all these, yes. lives, stack up all these lives and how many homes he's been in and people in California, how many people we, who still claim that he has touched them and they're not even considered official. And I believe those people. I believe he was, he never stopped. I mean, he, he no. didn't stop, but I mean, he didn't, during that period, he was compelled. Like, I, I agree. Like, it, it, absolutely compelled to do what he did, even if it's just the stalking behavior. That was his hobby. That was his passion. Right. You exactly. don't spend that much time. I mean, the detectives I've spoken to, and you have too, I'm sure, um, Almost. He says, I don't know when this guy slept because he would work all day and then he'd be prowling all night. All night. And yeah. Several times a week, many times a week, four or five nights a week. Sometimes he's obviously somebody who maybe has a very high metabolism and doesn't have to sleep very much. I mean, I'm not sure. You know, some people are like that. They just have this energy. Yeah, and it was all focused on this, that one thing, which is really the stalking, the peeping, the, the, going through people's stuff, the need to just get into people's homes. I mean, he did damage too, and he killed people, but there was, yeah, the compulsion is what I can't get over. And it's just as strong as when he stands in court and doesn't, he's just, it's that same, I always feel like it's the same compulsive behavior that allows him to be almost not there in the court. Right, to compartmentalize um, different aspects of his personality. I agree, he glasses over. Yeah. And so that's just, I'm removing myself from this situation because it's not comfortable. He doesn't care how, you know, absolutely insane he looks when he does that, I guess. But, um, he, well, so yeah. you guys get the and, green light and you do all these interviews. Um, to, what is your impression as you're doing these interviews? Because you're, like, I'm behind the camera, but you're, or you're behind the camera, whatever. I'm in front of the camera, but right. I don't have the, I'm not able to know the whole 360. You're taking it all in. You're listening to everybody. What are you starting to think about 
because I loved how you visualize the data. I mean, just to see the pattern, when you talk about prolific, when you had the calendar up and had all the dates and everything, and I'm like, oh, I've never seen it like this. This is so powerful. And, and you really need, because you know, so many cases, you really need to see it visually to really understand the pattern. It, it's, the frequency, so which we're just talking about, the frequency that he didn't sleep, there would maybe be three days where there was no activity. And I'm like, well, maybe it was raining. Like, that's so weird. As we were right. talking about geographies and stuff, it's just. But we wouldn't even be sure of that because right. just because he hasn't been spotted in three days doesn't mean he hasn't been out. He easily could have been out. Exactly. Um, oh, and yes. you go, oh, this is weird. Um, you know, four weeks between these two attacks, but they're the same neighborhood. And then three weeks between these two attacks. Well, it, it, it's not weird. He's prowling and he has several victims in mind. We know for a fact that he had, he attacked one house and was thwarted. Uh, I think um, he made noise and the husband woke up and came out. So he had to leave before I think he even got in the house or right after getting stepped in the house. Anyway, he went to another house on his list and had a successful attack there. Because he's in that frame of mind, so he's not going to be denied. And so he has backups, which is, I've never heard of that before, and it's, it's absolutely insane. But either he kept them on a written list, we've never found those, or he kept them in his head. But clearly he's hitting several houses a night to take either mental notes or written notes um, on who's home, what time they're home, what time they go to bed, you know. And so he has all these victims in his head waiting for the right night um yeah just the absolute number of cases is staggering so you really need to see it visually we put it on a map so we could see it um as it spreads out yeah spreads to the state you had um, geography and that gives you like an idea yeah and your point and i think your point so valid because I'm sheltering in Sacramento right now, and the more time I spend here and talk to Sacramentans, which I'm not particularly doing, I do it online, but there are so many people are convinced that they had an experience with him, and I don't think they're mm. wrong. Your exact point, just because there didn't culminate with a rape, or maybe it did, some cases there are some rapes that the police didn't react to the same way, because we all know the police work back then, well, good it wasn't perfect. And also there was, you had to tie crimes together through MO, not necessarily through DNA. We didn't have all the tools we have today. Right. So it doesn't surprise me at all that there are probably so many more. I, I agree. And yes, I, um, this, these cases impacted thousands, if not tens of thousands of people directly. I mean, it's like throwing a rock into a pond, you know, the ripples go out everywhere. So when a victim is raped or murdered, or in many cases both, it, it, the family, family and friends surrounding them, they're all victims now, you know? And they will never forget that. They will never have that leave. Um, and then not to have the perpetrator brought to justice is just a slap in the face on top of this huge pain that you've been given, you know, that your loved one, obviously, I don't have to tell you this because you went through this exact same thing. And it's, you know, they say closure. It's not really closure, but I understand what they're saying when they say that. It's at least justice if you get some, you know, if somebody's arrested and convicted for the crime. Yeah, if yes. you get a conviction right now, we're hoping the coronavirus. But I mean, even back then when this happened, so when you don't have that, yeah, you've lost a loved one to a horrifically violent crime and you have no idea who did it and no prospects of justice. I mean, that to me, I guess, is what really drives me is the they never got justice none of these people not the victims not the victims families and friends never got any justice and this guy is retired somewhere you know they would say um he, we know he's not in prison now because they re they really searched the prisons yes. for quite I remember a while Paul, uh, yeah Larry Poole telling me that over Larry Poole was big on that that yeah. was his big thing dead convict uh in in locked up or handicapped that was his three right. which kind of became my mantra for sanity like oh he's dead he's incarcerated or he's in some way which and it's great because that's a that's a norm thing but now we know that there may be other reasons why a serial killer will stop it seems like maybe home pressures with the kids maybe maybe even activated the last murder because it just seems like the last couple murders really are timed very close to the birth of his children so i it just seems like it's relevant in some way and he um, was really decompensating by that i mean he those murders 
once the murders were gruesome, yeah, the, the, the anger in those was some of the worst that we had seen throughout the series yeah. ever. Yeah, I mean, it just he just starts to lose it, which also we know physically. I mean, part of it seemed to be what motivated him was his physicality that he got off on being like this MacGyver guy who could jump over walls and, de- and turn something off and kill the dog and all this kind of stuff. And of course, that does leave you as you age. Yes. It might have also been Rage at himself that he didn't quite have that agility and dexterity and... Right. Oh, no. And, and you remember, well, he lost control of the second to last murder the couple in, in um, Goleta. Um, they put up a huge fight. So I think, and they always thought that he might have been injured in that fight. Um, now there's a... There's a big gap between that crime. There's a five-year gap between that crime and the last crime in Orange County of the 18-year-old girl. Yes, I agree with you. I think that scared him. I think as he was getting older, he realized, I can't do this anymore. I can't jump walls. If the cops are chasing me again, I'm not going to be able to outrun them like I was doing in Sacramento when I was younger. So, and by Celia. And, I'm, and he's not a cop at this time anymore, so he's not being trained. He's not keeping in in shape like he was when he was supposed oh, yeah. to. And then and he, it, it, I think you're talking about Janelle. He fixed Janelle who's young. Young and 18 and home alone. And he knows it because he yeah. was there the night before. They heard the noises. She had friends over the night before, so he doesn't attack then. But um, he definitely was watching her, knew that she was home alone. Probably heard her say, my parents are in Mexico. She has a park behind her house. He can watch through the sliding glass door. I mean, it's a perfect... Yeah. As we know, he looks for certain things. And, and unfortunately, where Janelle lived, she had all those things. So as you watch, as you talk to all of us, as you know, you did the interviews. Here, you want to hang on a second? Let, let, the, let the garbage truck go by. I'm, I, in my front room. I'm looking at the time. Okay, 11.39. Hang on one second. I'll mark that. Okay. 11.39. I'll remember. That's not that hard of a time. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so go you ahead and guys. repeat that last sentence. Okay, so, um, yeah, as you, as you look, at, as you wrapping up what was going on with the show, you're wrapping up the interviews, and you, you look at this aggregate, and how, how did you, what did you think about that, especially, we, we, you're getting ready to produce it. it. I know you're wanting to catch the guy. I mean, mm-hmm. I think all, all of the folks that are still doing things that we would call entertainment, because it is... This, inter- this odd intersection between entertainment and true crime, which yes. is, um, I don't know if it's an unholy alliance. It's certainly been a profitable alliance, but you know you're doing something that's entertainment at the same time. I feel like you really held the responsibility of our um, vulnerability and our mm. willingness to cooperate. Because, by the way, none of us get paid, people. We don't get paid. Right. So this isn't, we do this because we share a common goal, which is, Todd's is a little bit about entertainment, of course, because he's got to make money for the network. But at the same time, we share the other common goal of catching a killer, of trying and to- And informing, informing people. I was yeah. always had the fantasy that we would, either you or somebody we interviewed or, or, or the, you know, the police departments and all the various jurisdictions would release something that would jog somebody's memory. Yes, right. I know who that was doing that burglary. So if I know who that was doing that burglary, I know who the Golden State Killer is because we know that was the Golden State Killer. That's what I was hoping for. There were several times that he had been seen coming or going out of neighborhoods during burglaries. And I was hoping, and even one time getting into a car driven by a woman, that was one of the reports. So I was very hopeful that there was a woman out there who maybe hates him now, who would speak up. We, that's happened a million times in the past with us, you know. Oh, um, yeah. She was scared of her husband when the crime was committed. You know, they're divorced for 10 years now. She's not scared of him anymore. She goes to the cops. They break open a 25-year-old case. It happens quite a bit. So I was kind of hoping that maybe we, we could get that kind of tip. Um, and by so the way, that was my, we haven't gotten, that I know of, we still haven't gotten any of those. People that knew him and said, oh yeah, now this, no, we still, we got, he was mean to my dog, he was a bastard, but we never got, oh, that's what he was doing. Right. That's stunning. Now, we don't know if the cops have that and have kept it close to the vet so far. It's possible. Possible, You're exactly right. But there's leaks. All the stories were his weird behavior. 
his weird and strange behavior continued up almost to his arrest. Uh, I was told by neighbors that he, one neighbor caught him climbing the fence to another neighbor's house and Joe knew them, those people and knew that the house was empty, that they were in the hospital. And this neighbor caught him and said, what the hell are you doing? And Joe said sheepishly, climbed back over the fence. This is a 70 year old man at this point. He said he still could get over the fence pretty well and say, oh, I thought they were home. Some excuse. Uh, and I love going to the, the back door over the fence. So much easier than you know, the front door. The, the guy who lived directly behind D'Angelo, he's in the show, and he had countless stories about how crazy, crazy Joe is what the neighbor had called him. And, uh, and he, so the neighbors, and they even suspected that he had spied on their mother at some point and turned off backyard lights so he wouldn't be seen through the window and even helped himself to a ladder that was in the backyard to get to the lights, to turn them off. They were motion lights. He didn't have any proof that it was Joe, but like I live behind Joe D'Angelo. So, <laughs> so I, I, he said, I think that's proof enough that it, it's probably him who was turning off these motion lights more than once, not stealing anything, taking a ladder out of this man's shed, going to the motion light, turning the motion light off, putting the ladder back, and then he thinks looking through the backyard window into his mother's bedroom, um, who was, I guess, around Joe's age. So there was reports of that behavior going on in that neighborhood by him for years, for years after the... Uh, after the last murder and stuff. But so he continued with some of those behaviors. But you don't ever think East Area Rapist or, well, we've got a time delay, right, of 40 years, and we don't think East Area Rapist. Of course people. not. Who's thinking yeah. that? And it's Even back at to the time. Point. Well, and it's back to your point, too, that honestly our case did not get a lot of coverage. Up here, East Area Rapist did, and then it just died down, and everybody, as Americans do, oh, whoosh, next shiny thing. So they right. don't really think about it. I mean, for I know a lot of people are experiencing kind of this renewed trauma as he's been arrested. And they're like, oh my God, like, I remember being so afraid. So many people have come up to me with those stories about, I just remember being so afraid. Yes. And, and, but and a couple of the victims had that fear and then they were attacked, which is really <laughs> heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking when they tell you that, that they were afraid. Two of the victims off the top of my head from Sacramento that we interviewed told me that they were aware of it and that they were very afraid, um, one more than the more so than the other, and then they both became victims. I mean, I cannot imagine the terror, those poor women. And they were super brave to sit down and talk to us about their story. And I think it, I honestly think it helps to know what he said and what his actions were um, they're so similar across the board that I think it only helps um, the judicial process. I mean, it's just more evidence heaped upon him. Yeah. So, yeah. So you and, uh, but, I, but I know it's not easy to tell that story. And I, man, I salute those women and I will always be their friends. All of you guys, I will always be your friends. It's something that we all went through kind of together and it was an amazing um chance to get justice for you guys. I'm glad I was a small part of it. You know, maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I have such affection for you because you were there at, like it all did kind of come together. I had done a pivot for myself feeling like I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I'm going to be out there. I still used my old name, but still. Um, and then you've been there with us. I mean, the, the series was really well done. So thank you on behalf of the Thank you. Thank you. Really well done. And if, if you, any of y'all haven't watched Unmasking Killer, I'm pretty sure you can get it streaming now. You can still watch it. It's on um, uh, Oxygen. Oh, I'm sorry. They're going to kill me for saying that. Uh, HLN On Demand. That's HLN Headline News On Demand. <laughs> I'll fix that. I, I, I do that. several shows for Oxygen, too, so they're in my head. But, yeah, well, yeah, yeah uh, Oxygen is, yeah, in the jam, too. They're in the <laughs> true crime jam as well. Yeah, so Headline News On Demand, um, Unmasking a Killer. Uh, we added two new episodes after the arrest uh, to go in. That's just interesting. To go into who Joseph D'Angelo was. Yeah, you came, so you've been with us, us being the survivors, I think most folks by now that at least listen to my podcast know that the survivors have been like my 
mojo superpower juice. I never thought I'd get to meet them. I mean, just dad and Charlene died and I always wanted to meet a rape survivor to kind of understand more what Charlene and my dad went through. So yes. survivors, you I know you've been over at um, the words out now, we go to Chris's house, at right. house, and it's, I mean, we feel really comfortable with you there. What's it like seeing, you have the, the ability to see us, because I'm one of them, so what is it like when you see us come It makes you? me feel really good um, to see you guys together and talking and just, uh, you know, getting comfort out of each other's company, man, that's a great feeling. Like, yes, yeah, when I was at the barbecue, I would just look around and and I know, you know, Carol Daly, uh, an investigator for the Sacramento Sheriff's Department for years, worked up, interviewed almost all of these female victims at one point or another. Yeah. And her par partner, Richard Shelby, they were both there. Both those detectives took this. I'm, that's another thing. I'm so glad we solved this case for those guys, too, because they couldn't get past it, that they were unable to solve it. It was a huge hole in their life. They both told me that. So they're, so you're all there celebrating an arrest, and we know we have the right guy. I mean, the DNA evidence is overwhelming. So um, just to see you guys together was fantastic. It was very heartwarming. It made me feel really good. Like, if I, if I do nothing else in my life, I've done this. So good. Okay. Well, I want you to feel that way because that's – I love that, Katie. I want you to feel that way because I, I do think that there are some – I mean, when we – when any of us are, you know, gossiping about you, as one might do, um, it is all favorable. And, and Oh, good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're on the cusp of the next show that's going to be made about this coming out. And so – um, I really am withholding opinions on that until at least I'm able to write them. But yeah. as, as we move forward, there's so many people that have covered this story, but I, I just felt like your, your approach, your journalistic, investigative journalism approach, let's put it that way. I'm sorry, you never did answer. Where did you draw the line between entertainment and true crime? Oh. And, and entertainment well, victims, because that's really a, it is. You're it's a fine exactly line, right? right? And Joke and I have done a lot of true crime shows, so we, I think we have an, a good idea where the line is. Um, I mean, the, if you notice that there's no recreations where you actually really see, like, the guy in the ski mask and everything, we decided that is traumatic. And, it, and to be honest, I hate the way it looks visually. Um, so we would do small things, like maybe a shot of a boot stepping through a puddle. That's not a big recreation, but I think it sets the mood and the tone. Yeah. So little changes like that, but the big part was, we don't have a voiceover, we don't have a narrator. You are telling the story. When Jennifer is being interviewed, she is telling the story. When this victim is being interviewed, she is telling the story. When this officer is being interviewed, that's his story. And then we put it all together, much harder, I was going to say, that's like using note cards back at school when we used to have all the I note cards. Joke realized what we were getting into because that was Joke's idea. And I was like, you know, it took me a few days to get my head around it, but I was like, let's go for it because, you know, I don't like anything that's different and, you know, makes it stand out. So I was like, you know, we could always go back and air and narrate uh, and, and put in narration if needed. What we decided to do was, because um, there were a couple spots where we really needed to join the last interview and the next interview. Yeah. So we, did, we did the slates, you know, just the written word. So to inform people. Okay. And I think that has a big impact. I, I just think a silent, you Transition. know. Yeah, like words. Yeah, just have an impact. So visually, we didn't want it to look like entertainment. That's You're exactly right. Because I think that that is some of what does make it uh, yeah, again, I mean, you've got all of us spilling our guts, right? And like you said, I cried, I laughed, I was an ass. I mean, all the things, right? <laughs> At the same time, though, I'm trusting all of that to you. And so how you choose to represent it and the sound bites you choose. Right, you right. Choose it's a lot of trust to the document, uh, documentary filmmaker. Um, and I think we always felt it. I know I did. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think, well, that Diageo felt it. Yeah, we always felt that pressure. Uh, maybe not pressure is the right word. Responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah, that's exactly. We right. felt that to all you guys. Oh my god. I mean, I could probably never sleep a week ever again if I felt like I hurt anybody. Uh, at, at you guys, you know, it, you've been hurt enough. I would not want to add to that. I would just want to tell your story, and, and hopefully that we could 
maybe, um, you know, stir somebody's memory and, and, and get a tip that we needed. That's what the hope was at the time. Um, and so, yeah, we took it very seriously, the responsibility we had to present your stories in full. And, oh, yeah. and you know, and in, in the light that they should be. And speaking of the officers, the detectives, that's another thing. I really wanted to go into the lack of technology and this is the roadblocks that they had back then i mean they didn't even have, have a goddamn radio in their police car they were t- they'd have to hold dimes in their pocket so they could use a payphone oh good god like not a joke um you know and all the techniques that they tried you know they tried to pull fingerprints off a victim by using this um glue that they turned that they would heat up and turn into a fume and it would stick to human oils and it was didn't work, but I applaud them, man. They tried everything. The Sacramento Sheriff's Department tried everything. They knew they were they they had a bad look that they were catching this guy, and that he was throwing it in their face, you know, with these the poem that he sent and the phone calls. So they tried everything, and I um I wanted to show that. I wanted to show these guys worked hard, and and even long into retirement, they never forgot this case, and. The victims never forgot Carol Daly. No. She's still, I I still want to talk to her. She's like, I'll give you an interview after the trial. I go, I know. Everybody has to be. Yeah, they can't talk. They can't talk right now. No. But so when all is said and done, did did y'all win any awards? Uh, We we didn't win an award, um, but we got a lot of praise. I know. I don't know how it works. Um, That had to be the... We, we broke all the records for HLN. It was the, it, it, it had the most um, views on demand that HLN ever had. Nice. Um, Congratulations. We have been praised by different critics. I really have not seen a bad review. <clears throat> I've been sent several, <clears throat> excuse me, several good reviews. Um, and then lately during the quarantine, somebody said the top 10 documentaries that are not on Netflix and we were number one. <clears throat> that was kind of cool. <laughs> Congratulations. That's very cool. And the thing is, yeah, I, it's not on that. I appreciate And that's a person who knows documentary. HLN doesn't want to, no. they don't, they can't. It may be at some point. Okay. It was like, they can't set, set. No, no, no. Kind of they, you know, CNN thing. does put their documentaries on Netflix. So at some point it may go on there. Tis the season, yeah, HLN. Let's get going, man. It's going <laughs> to burn before D'Angelo's back in court. Now it's been scheduled for August. So we've got a ways to go. Yeah. I'm looking back, get on this. Yes. Let's get that. Puppy. And I read an article today that they were talking about the delays in the case due to the coronavirus epidemic. So, um, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's delayed. And you and I have heard the rumors about um, possible plea deal. Yes. I was curious how you felt about that, to plead guilty to all the crimes. I'm assuming it's to plead guilty to all the crimes. It's that, well, there's, yeah, the plea, the defense is floating the plea, the willingness to plead. And what the prosecution is not interested at this time, of course, that's up to the elected officials who are the district attorneys in every jurisdiction. So that's going to need six people to agree, which is a big deal. And also, um, I think the survivors, at least, are pretty committed to at least let's do this preliminary hearing in August. And then if there's a plea deal after a negotiation whatever we got to get this guy to survive the coronavirus that's the first hurdle and then get back in court but we really want to have some time in court i don't think any of us feel the need for a giant trial right but the preliminary hearing where he's held accountable and has to at least show up in court we're we're so bound over to that right now we just he's not once had to sit in the courtroom and hear other than the Mm -hmm. day they read the counts for the death penalty like they read the 26 counts that's been the only day he's really had to hear it. Right. Agreed. That's it. Um, he really it has would be to nice to get, I, I don't know what effect it'll have on him. Probably not much, but you hope, you hope that there's an effect on him that somehow that some of it sinks in, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just, I just always remember what the one thing he said to police. Do you remember, um, it, it came out that, uh, you know, because he wouldn't say anything. They would ask him if he wanted to drink, yeah. he wouldn't answer. Right. Oh, no, he doesn't say And anything. I don't know if he was scared that they were going to get his DNA. He just wanted to go, they got your DNA. Right? That's why they're here. <laughs> so you drinking the Dr. Pepper is not going to 
Um, but uh, the one thing he did say was um, he mumbled to himself that while nobody was in the room, but it was caught on camera, um, I was being good, or I tried to. I was. I tried to be good. I was being good. Something to that effect. So, and I know exactly what he means. He, again, it goes back to what you were saying. He puts these different sections of his personality away until he feels like pulling them out. They're not. He's not schizophrenic or anything like that, I don't believe. I, I believe that that's just his coping mechanism to deal with these horrific uh, desires that he has. And so he's talking to himself, basically talking to that other part of him saying, I, we were good, I tried to be good. How dare they arrest me now? That's, yeah, that's my thought of what he was thinking. Yeah, How it's complete remarkable. narcissism. Yeah, and it's so young. It's that is such a young reaction. I mean, that idea of, I was like your current situation. I was being good. Right. Your current situation. I was behaving. It's childlike. Wow. Yeah. Way. It's really a <laughs> level of reasoning, which, yeah, you and I could do a whole nother show about talking about know, parent and all that. Like, I'm sorry. People live with this man. People live with this man. Todd, I want to thank you so much for making time to come on my podcast. This is so I had a lot of fun and I would, I would do it again anytime. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, once I got the angle worked out and the lighting in the background. Yeah, okay. guys, there's nothing funnier than working with the TV guy and then he's like worrying about lighting and camera and everything. These Zoom yeah. naive, well, naive. I'm pretty much on the research end, but yes, um, I cannot let down Joe and Biagio, who are visual experts. Um, That's right. Yeah, I mean, they really are. And, and you mentioned, uh, I'll say real quick, you mentioned a lot of the graphics for all the data that's in the show yeah. that you thought helped a lot that was a lot of discussion and we knew that going in you have a lot of data it's got to be easy to read um it can't be you know something where you have to sit there and study it because it's tv we got to move on so something that's easily understood visually but really brings home the data and so we worked a lot of that Diageo, who is uh joke's husband and our editor extraordinaire he does a lot of things um he came up with that visual and I thought it was fantastic. Secret marketer, man, secret marketer. Cause that's what I, that's stuff I struggle with all the time. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah. So, yeah. Much love for that. That was, very well, if you have a complicated story, it's yes, it helps to maybe simplify where you can. There, there'll be areas obviously you can't, but yeah. Um, and the other thing was that it, we got to interview people that I had never heard from. Uh, I'd only seen their names in the investigation uh, you know, the guy who um, saw the Golden State Killer leave uh, the house after shooting the young couple in Rancho Cordova. I had only seen his name, and so I got to interview him and talk to him at length, and that was pretty interesting. Um, man, talk about, I mean, he was like a 17, 18-year-old kid when it happened, and this story, he's still talking about this, you know. And he said, I, you know, it's been so long, it's hard to remember some of the details, but at least he could still have the old police report and he could look at it and remember, Oh yeah, that I remember that, you know, but it's been yeah. so long. Um, but people like that, people who were just uh, played a, a role in the case and I was really eager to speak to, and we managed to do that. And we managed to include the Visalia ransacker cases and the right Visalia police department couldn't have been kinder and a bigger help. I, I, all the men and women, they were super helpful and they, from day one basically believed that the Visalia ransacker went to Sacramento and became the East Area Rapist and were proven right. They were correct. And the best drawing we had of him was from a Visalia Police Department officer, turns out. The only accurate description really of him. Yeah, the, wow. the officer who was shot at by the Visalia ransacker. It's good to know um, that that vision of that gun shooting at you can also predict like that's some skills if he was able to remember a face when you're not thinking the description was almost dead on for d'angelo wow. and this is why d'angelo knew he had to get out of the area and that's why he transferred to auburn uh, but this is all in the documentary so if you're not familiar with what i'm talking about you can watch it no definitely yeah and now you've got two shows that are in the can i don't even know if i've seen them yet so i need to go look two posts yeah. Post arrest, which are really important. I know you were up filming it. I just don't know if I actually sat down long enough to watch them. But I, I think they've been out for like over a year now. Yeah, yeah. we did them very quickly. Um, so it was all the info on D'Angelo that we had at the time. Interviewed um, 
a few other people, neighbors, uh, his his ex-partner in uh, Exeter, because he was actually an Exeter cop, but he would pull his crimes in nearby Visalia, which was very smart. Um, Because if he's seen in Visalia and he's part of the Visalia PD, which is small, he he could have been recognized. Busted, right. Fairly quickly. So we interviewed uh, his ex uh, partner and then the chief of police at the time at Auburn. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, these people should have known. There's no way these people would have known. There's no way. Even today, they say, I, there was nothing. I, he he, he, was a weirdo, kind of strange. Rapist murderer? No. No. Well, (laughs) never got that. Watching his demeanor today, and we know he won't talk, he just does not share. That's one thing about him. He just doesn't share anything. And that was the common thread through the interviews. Uh, wouldn't laugh at jokes, wouldn't tell jokes, seemed not to understand jokes, which we know is, um, can be you know, a sign. Logical. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, talked about his future and kind of acted like he was too good for Exeter. And even his partner said, what are you doing in Exeter? You know, he had a college degree and everything. And, um, you know, we know why he was in Exeter. It's a small town. He could be a big fish. We know why. Everything feeds his narcissism. Everything goes back to that when you're that kind of personality. The crimes, the job, your wife, how you deal with your family, how you deal with other people, how you deal with your neighbors, all feeds into his narcissism, you know. Um, and, and did you try and to psychotic get the to talk? Did you, did you I'm sorry? you approach any of the kids no we we stayed away from the kids and this kind of goes back to your point they just had their father arrested for the worst crime in california history um and i knew uh, all the meowlets would be you know just right haranguing them with with requests so we decided not to denounce the kids announced the wife I think it's a good decision. I mean, I, I say somebody's like, well, you want to interview the kids? And I'm like, well, they know where I am when they're ready. I would love to talk with one of the daughters, but right, because they, they have an insight that none of us will ever have, not even their closest neighbor, um, what it's like to grow up in that house. Yeah. That would be fascinating to know. But uh, the neighbors, you should watch the two episodes. I think you'll will, find them very interesting. The neighbors have some that's some really interesting things to say, some fascinating stories. And you're like, oh, I mean, it all fits. Of course. You know? yes. And we kind of knew once we had the suspect that this would all fall in like a, you know, like pieces of a puzzle. And it has. I mean, oh, there's still stuff we want to know, but. But it's all, I know, it's actually, yeah. it's all come together. He's in all the areas when he needs to be. Todd, thank you so much for doing this today. <laughs> I, no problem. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and everybody um, go to HLN, watch it streaming and make sure you see all the episodes, seven, uh, eight episodes now, right? If we've got six, seven, seven, seven. seven. Okay, five, five original and then two after the arrest. Okay. Thank you, Todd. I, I Thank you for it. having me. <laughs> I, I'll talk to you soon. No doubt. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye everybody. Venture Highway.